Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. This is a big one. I am very excited because on this week's episode, I finally talked to the one and only Rudy Vanderlands. Rudy probably does not need an introduction. He is a designer, he's a photographer, and he is the founder of Immigre, the type foundry he created with his wife, Susanna Lichko, that published the great magazine of design writing, Immigre Magazine. Rudy and Immigre have kind of hovered over this podcast since I started. The magazine comes up in almost every episode, it feels like, and I've talked to so many people who got their start writing about design in the pages of Immigre, from Randy Nakamura to Ann Burdick, Dimitri Siegel, Kenneth Fitzgerald, Mr. Keedy. It's just some of the best design writing was published in that magazine, in my opinion. And I think in so many ways, the 90s were kind of this golden age of design writing. And I was really looking forward to finally talking to Rudy about how he views that era and his work with Immigre. We obviously talk about Immigre a lot, but we also talk about his own background and his evolving interest in design. We talk about his interest in photography and why he decided to close the magazine at the time that he did. This conversation really means a lot to me. If you've listened to this podcast regularly, I'm sure you know how influential Immigre was to my own design education and specifically my interest in design writing. And I'm just so honored to have him on the show. This is a truly a special one for me. Remember, if you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year to receive an exclusive monthly newsletter with additional content and episode previews. Memberships really help keep the podcast going, and I just really appreciate all of your support and hope that you really enjoy this conversation with the great Rudy Vanderlands. Uh, if it's okay with you, I, I, I would love to start all the way back at the beginning with, I've been familiar with your work for basically as long as I've been familiar with graphic design, but I don't actually know how you got into all of this. Uh, where did your interest in graphic design come from? I went to art school in Holland. I grew up in Holland. Right, right. I, I did know that. Went to school in Holland. I, uh, I attended the, uh, the Royal Academy of Art in The Hague. Okay. What we refer to as the... Uh, the Kunstakademie, which is the art academy, we call it. And I wanted to become an illustrator. Mm. Uh, but there was no such thing as a program that would teach you that. The closest I could get to it was to basically uh, go to the graphic design program at, at the academy. Mm. And they had a little bit of illustration. But that was, that was basically a graphic design education that I just fell into by accident. Okay. I just happened to really like it. Did you know, like when, when you signed up for that program or joined that department, did you know what graphic design was? Was that a, did that term mean anything to you or, or you just saw that as a way to do illustration? I thought I, I thought I, I think I had an idea of what graphic design was. I mean, it's hard not to when you grow up in Holland <laughs> Um, it's everywhere and it's, you know, it's important. Uh, but, but really when I entered the program, uh, which was a great, great program, by the way, you know, it was, it was very 
foundational, very basic, um, you know, less is more, mm-hmm. crystal yeah. god, you know, <laughs> form function, Bauhausian design education. Uh, you know, I, I, I sort of got to know what graphic design is all about right there and then. And uh, a whole new world opened up to me. And I thought it was just, it was just right on the money. I took to it like a, like a fish to water. And I think the, the reason for that is why I ended up like, it was, it was, it was sort of taught so straightforward. Mm-hmm. It was really like a vocational school. I mean, they really taught you a trade. It was all studio classes, you know, uh, with a lot of emphasis on problem solving and technique. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's all about making things with your hands, you know, which I, which I really, really liked. Uh, you know, there was a lot of emphasis uh, put on making, you know, putting together mock-ups and, and mechanicals. <laughs> right. Really important. We spent so much time doing that kind of work, you know, how to draw a perfect line with, with pen and ink. <laughs> right. You know, how to draw a perfect circle, you know, with pen and ink, color studies. Uh, yeah. It, it, it was something that, that I really took to immediately. I really enjoyed it. It was, it was, it was perfectly explained. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, we had some great teachers, you know, Gerrit Nordsei was there, the, the oh, famous yeah. type designer and uh, type educator. Um, you know, all, all the teachers were, were people that were, were all practicing designers. And, uh, you know, after four years of that, we were basically ready to clean up the world, you know, <laughs> right. get rid of all the ugly typefaces in the world and all the bad design. You know, it was very ideological and, and, and it was intoxicating, you know, uh, yeah. and I never dared question any of it. It was all, kind oh, of wow. like, uh, it was all like the gospel, you know? Yeah. But it was an amazing education, and um, you know, yeah, that's where I learned everything that there was to know about graphic design. And after you know four years, you could land a job anywhere. And actually, it was a five-year. The fifth year was an apprentice was an apprenticeship, basically. So oh, okay. you had to land an apprenticeship with a studio and do that for about three or four months. And I was super lucky i landed a job with total design oh wow in Amsterdam, which was you know where bim Kral yeah and boss and even anton Beke were all there at the time they were like the you know the the, the royalty of dutch design I, yeah. I, I was so lucky to get that and i ended up working there for about three or four months and they were work at that time and i think it was like 79 because i was in school from 75 to 79 okay at the art academy and at Total Design, when I was there, um, they were working on this gigantic identity program for the PTT, which is the Dutch Post Telephone and Telecommunications. Mm. And that's such a huge uh, uh, identity program. There were actually three studios working on that. It was Total Design, Tel Design, and Studio Dunbar. Oh, wow. I mean, it was, it was, it was so large. Yeah. And I was there at that at Total Design, and I got to do some production work actually on some of the identity manuals for that program. So they gave me a great introduction to what it means to be working on uh, identity design, which now they call branding design. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So yes. I'm I'm so I didn't know I didn't first of all I didn't know that you had 
kind of gotten your start at, at, at total design, but something that's really sh- shocking to me in a way is that you went through this very formal, rigorous, kind of almost gospel education where there are all of these rules, crystal goblet, and that you didn't question that at all, because I feel like uh, if you have any reputation, which you have many, but one of them is is kind of uh, being more experimental, being against a lot of those things, at least visually. So where did that, when did you start to kind of question that? Or or how did you start questioning that? Uh, you know, I was I was probably the quietest kid in class all throughout art school. I, I was in the back of the class. I was a fairly mediocre student. Oh, wow. Um, I, you know, the, the questioning part uh, started when I came, I think, to much later, when I came to, to California. I was, okay. a, a, you know, I, I, I never dared to question any. But there was no questioning going on at school at all, by right. the way. Right. I think it was very, uh, it, it, you, there was no theory being thought. In, in art school when I was there. There was no history, hardly. I think I read about three or four books during the four years in art school, and they were all about technique. They were yeah. all about how to letter set, you know, how to set letters by hand, how to print, you know, all the all the stuff, all the information you need to know about offset printing and, and whatnot. And, you know, there was a book about... Uh, technique of photography you know there was no theory at all i didn't i had not never heard of anything like theory and design writing about design are you kidding me yeah so why wait so when when did you end up coming when did you move to california well after my three months at total design i because that was that was you know an apprenticeship and right. uh, by the way which was I, I think partially subsidized by the government. Oh wow! I got salary actually. The Dutch government paid half of that. Wow. Uh, typically, I don't know if that still exists. But after that, I worked for two years at Forum Five, oh, okay. which was a much smaller studio in The Hague for Bart de Groot and and Joop de Ridder, and uh, that was also you know it was a small studio, but they also worked on a lot of. Uh, identities, a lot of work for the government. Mm-hmm. You know, The Hague, where I grew up and where I went to school, that's where the government is seated in Holland. It's not the, it's not the capital of Holland, but it's, it's Amsterdam. But yep. the government is seated in The Hague. So Forum 5 was based in The Hague, and they, there was a lot of work that came from the government, a lot of departments that had their own identities and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of that kind of work at Forum 5, but that was cut short because I was uh, being drafted oh. into the army. And, uh, you know, at, in those days, there was still a draft. I don't think right. it's there anymore. So before being drafted, I thought I'm going to enjoy myself. So I took this two-month trip across the United States by Greyhound bus. Oh, wow. From New York to California. And I ended up in Berkeley. And I visited UC Berkeley. And then on a whim while I was there... I decided to apply to their graduate. They had a small graduate program oh. in, in design. Okay. And so instead of that, went back to Holland. Then I, uh, you know, entered the army. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I got discharged after three weeks. Um, <laughs> okay. And I, I won't go into that. It's not. It's not one of my proudest moments. Okay. Uh, All right. But I got. But I got out. And then I got hired by Tell Design, which was the former right. studio of Dunbar. 
And, um, and I worked there with, with Paul Vermeijs, and that was also a lot of identity design. You know, that's really big in Holland and, yeah. at that time. And a lot of studios, that was their bread and butter, uh, which actually I didn't take too very easily. I didn't really enjoy that too much. And that, that was cut short. I was there for, oh, maybe a year and a half or so. That was cut short because one day I come home and there's a letter in the mail from UC Berkeley. <laughs> okay. And I was admitted. <laughs> And, and how long how long after this for what's that how much time has passed since you had applied it by this point well just about a year a year and okay a half or okay like that. yeah i mean i know all, all throughout i was sending them slides and oh, okay okay you know, and i had oh and it was you know there was this whole thing it was actually i wouldn't say easy to get into uc berkeley but you know it, i got in yeah. but it was much harder actually to get into the united states mm. because um I had to prove I had, you know, like $10,000 in the bank. I had to go to the American embassy in The Hague twice for interviews. Right. What was I going to do? You know, was I going to be able to take care of myself and everything? So that was all settled. I went to UC Berkeley and then, uh, you know, that's how I ended up in California. And was that your question? I yeah, forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How you, kind of how you got up, to California. Yeah. And I ended up in UC Berkeley. <laughs> And I actually ended up studying photography there oh, okay. for two years. They had, by the time I ended up at UC Berkeley, they had actually done away with their graphic design program. There. Okay. And so they said, but you know, if you'd like, you can just do photography. And I said, well, sure, I'll sign up for that. Uh, and I, did, I studied photography in their master's program for about two years. And that's where I met Susanna Lichko, okay. my wife. Okay. Yeah. It's there who was there as a... Um, and she was studying also? She was studying as an undergraduate in the architecture program. Okay. So she was going to become an architect, which okay. uh, halfway through she switched, uh, her, she changed her uh, her major to, uh, to visual communications. Uh, but that's where we met. Okay. Right? And then, so were you... Were you thinking that you were going to become a photographer? Or, like, what, what was that like being in that program focusing on photography yes I, I i that you know i was actually pretty disillusioned or had completely given up on graphic design i i oh, okay. i didn't miss it I, I think my experiences as as great as they were working at total design and and uh, and tell design and forum five you know the whole idea of of working on corporate identities and working for clients that I really had no affinity towards at all. Yeah. Didn't suit me really. Yeah. I really felt like, um, I also wasn't a very good team player. <laughs> I not imagine myself really working at a studio. And again, you know, don't want to say anything bad about these studios I worked. They were really terrific places to be. Right. Right. And I look back upon that time as a, as a very, very valuable and, and great, great time in my life. But, um, in terms of graphic designer, if that if that was what graphic design was all about, it didn't interest me all that much, actually. Yeah. Turns out, and uh, so I started doing photography, and I, I really really enjoyed that. But there at UC Berkeley, I think that's where I started to, um, you know, it was a graduate program. There were only four or five other graduate students there doing photography. It was very small, mm -hmm. and it was all about it was all about critical thinking. <laughs> Okay. You know, this was UC Berkeley, and yeah. this was really difficult for me to to get used to because for me, all throughout my 
schooling in Holland and my, it was always about making stuff and say as little about it as I could get away with. Yeah. I didn't know what to say about it. That's I just so wanted to make stuff. But at UC Berkeley, it was the exact opposite. People would just sit around the table and talk about the work. Yeah. The work was almost like a byproduct. It was almost not very important. It was sort of a starting point to talk about stuff. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, I made a big mistake because it's like I have nothing to say about any of this. Nothing. I mean, I was, again, the quiet kid in the back of the class. I had a real, real difficulty with that. You know, actually, I never graduated because uh, in order to, grad, to, get, to get the master's degree, I had to do a small exhibit of my work, a project. Uh, that I was able to do. I love that. You know, make yeah, a photograph. Yeah. I was actually silk screening on top of photographs. And oh, interesting. I pulled all that off. But I also had to write a thesis. You know, I, had to, I had to write about the work. I, I, could, I had no idea what to say about it. So, <laughs> so I, I completely failed at that. I couldn't get that together. And I, uh, I, I never graduated because of that. And also because oh, I wow. ran out of money. I had to find a job. And, and through some strange fluke, I ended up working as a graphic designer in the art department at the San Francisco Chronicle. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it, was, it was a bit of an accident because I actually wanted to work. You know, I felt I had to go and, and make some money mm -hmm. after school. Photography wasn't going to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. I said, well, I'm a graphic designer. I can work, you know, show my portfolio. I can, you know, yeah. find a job yeah. probably. I felt very confident about that. So I wanted to work for Chronicle Books. So I uh, yeah. I called up Chronicle Books and I said, can I come show, come show my portfolio? And uh, and they said, yeah, sure, come on by. Go there. And uh, um, I, I, I show up and it, it turns out I had called the wrong people. I had called the Chronicle. <laughs> uh, so... Wow. Jeez, I think I'm in the wrong place. But it turns out they actually had a job opening. And they said, why don't you just show your portfolio? And, uh, and I did that. And at that time, I was so relaxed because I, yeah. I don't work at the newspaper. Um, I, I was on my way out already, sort of. Um, but I showed my portfolio and they said, well, we like it. If you'd, if you'd like, the job is here for you to have. If you, wow. if you want to do this, you'll have to do some illustration work, some design work, all kinds of stuff. Um, and you know the job pays you know what was it twenty three thousand dollars a year <laughs> oh, wow. plus medical insurance and whatnot which was like a fortune for me at the time, um, and I said okay I'll take it, uh, and this was in nineteen eighty three I believe and I worked there for about three years okay and you know I did I did a lot of illustration work and I did um, all the covers for the TV guide and the the date book and the book review, all these sort of special inserts mm -hmm. for uh, for the Sunday newspaper, and it was like a, it was the complete opposite in terms of design yeah. from where I had been educated and from where I worked before. You know, where design is seen as this really serious thing that can help save the world. <laughs> yeah, whereas, yeah. Whereas at Chronicle, it's like they broke every rule in the book of typography. It's like they did everything wrong according to what I had learned, you know. Right. They were justifying type, you know, in columns <laughs> that were one and a half inches wide. You know, it's like, you yeah. can't do that. You know, it, uh, but it, it, 
was kind of interesting to to see that you could break all these rules yeah. and you could still have you know hundreds of thousands of people reading the newspaper every day and they had no problems at all with the fact that we were breaking all the rules right uh, so that was another sort of interesting thing to uh, be exposed to in my life uh, in, in design. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually really interesting how a lot of these threads that you could kind of weave through your whole career were all kind of right there from the beginning, you know, coming from a very traditional education to then working at a newspaper where you start to kind of break the rules a little bit to being in the photography program that was all about theory or, or criticism and... Um, when did you start to realize that all of these things maybe fit together in some way? Well, that that happened when 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 we were doing Emigre magazine, yeah. which I started in at, at the time that I was at the Chronicle, okay. 83, 84. I think the first issue, yeah, the first issue of Emigre came out in in eighty four. Uh, and and that came about because you know I still had aspirations to be a photographer, okay. and you know it's it's very hard to break into it. And uh, together with two other Dutch friends, other artists who are also living here in the Bay Area in San Francisco, who are also struggling to getting their work published, uh, we had this brilliant idea of uh, well, why don't we publish our own magazine? Uh, yeah. That way, you know, we can show our work and get it out, you know, <laughs> into the world. Of course, we had no idea, you know, how difficult right. the magazine It's probably why we ended up doing it, because we didn't know how difficult that could be. Um, so we, so we did, so we started Emigre and, you know, we emptied our bank accounts. Okay. This, this is before Kickstarter. And, uh, you know, we printed up uh, 500 copies of Emigre. And uh, immediately found out how hard it is to distribute a magazine, you know? Yeah. I would, uh, I would basically grab as many copies as I could carry under my arm, get on the bar train, go to San Francisco, and literally go to every bookstore and newsstand I knew of and just walk in and say, hey, I have this great new magazine. It's called Emmy Gray. Um, would you like to buy some copies? And they said, no. <laughs> they said, <laughs> We don't deal with publishers. We we get our stuff through distributors. Right. I said, well, wait, I am the distributor. Here's my magazine. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, you can buy it directly from me. It's no, no, that's not how it works. Uh, so then, after about six or seven bookstores, there was actually one bookstore who said, yeah, they they liked what they saw, and they said, yeah, why don't you give me three copies? Mm -hmm. I said, three copies. So, but I said, okay, you know, but that's um, that's six dollars. I said. <laughs> No, oh, no, that's not how it works. We don't pay for it right on the, you know, right, right. on the spot. It's all consignment. We'll pay for it, you know, uh, after we sell it. And I right. thought, oh, my God, this is going to be really, really hard. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was it was impossible. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, we started the magazine and we did that for about three or four issues with, with my two Dutch friends who were probably a lot smarter than me at the time, and they figured it out pretty quickly that this was a losing proposition. Yeah. And they went off and went on to bigger and better things, and they left the magazine basically with, with me and Susanna. Mm -hmm. And this was in 85, 84, 85. And this is when, you know, this is also when the Macintosh was, was right. introduced. Right. 
And this is when um, we started, we were, you know, we, we got the first, the 128K Macintosh. And uh, that's, that's all part of history in a way. Susanna found this little public domain software that allowed you to design your own uh, typefaces. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, had always been possible for anybody to design a typeface, but it was always really, really hard to then implement it and actually use it. But, you know, the Macintosh made all that possible. You could literally design a typeface. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, with bitmaps, this was before Postgres. Right, By bit- right. Bitmaps, you know, placing little blocks on top of each other, yeah. sort of thing. But you, you, you could store it into the computer and you could then use it. Yeah. And Susanna loved it. I mean, she, she, you know, she started cranking out typefaces. And I started using those typefaces in the magazine. Yeah, okay. we printed out yeah. on an image printer and whatnot. And we, um, you know, we put it on a stat camera and statted it down. Yeah. And that became for us, you know, a cheap way to, to do typesetting for the magazine. Because up to that point, we had to basically buy typesetting, oh, right. which is very expensive. Or we used a typewriter and whatnot, or letter set and whatnot. So, but this Macintosh allowed us to make design our own typefaces and then actually set type with it, and that you know saved a lot of money with that. Plus, it set us completely apart from every other magazine, right? Right. In terms of typefaces that we were using, and that actually caused a lot of people to pay attention. I think. And and. Uh, what was she, what was she what was Susanna doing at the time? Was she working as a designer also yeah she had started slowly to to work as a graphic designer and she did small um small design jobs here and there Uh, but when again when the macintosh came out and 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 later with 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 postscript uh, adobe started to digitize a lot of the classic typefaces and they needed people to basically do the bitmap editing for all those typefaces yes screen presentation every size was bitmap edited oh wow <laughs> uh, so Susanna spent just hundreds of hours bitmap editing you know the classics in you know, Helvetica and basketball for oh. Adobe oh wow I did not know that uh, yeah uh, uh, so she was doing that and that was uh, that, that was a, a fairly decent income for her and, and then she was doing still um, you know small graphic design works so and we just basically scrambling mm-hmm. um, and uh, for a little while, actually, when people started noticing the bitmap fonts in Emigre magazine, some graphic designers were sort of intrigued by it. And they, they, they would contact us and they would ask us, you know, we'd like to use these typefaces in our work. How can we do that? So Susanna would literally typeset bitmap fonts for, for other designers. So they would order headlines from her, you know, she oh, would wow. set type. On the Macintosh computer, she would basically stat it down on the stat camera or blow it up, and then she would, you know, she would sell a line of type. Oh, that's amazing! On on, on photographic paper that graphic designers would then use and, and would put in their, you know, into their layouts by pasting it up. Yeah. I mean, so so it's interesting to me though because when did I'm curious, kind of when you realized? I, I let, let me back up for a second. I I'm. I think it's interesting that kind of what the way that the the magazine started to to gain attention was through this kind of customized or kind of interesting or different typography. When when did you guys realize that both sides of that could be an interesting business, both the type design 
and this kind of new publishing venture that you were able to kind of go out on your own and say, this is actually possible. Right. Well, you know, the, I think we quickly understood that the magazine was just a perfect promotional tool for the typefaces. Right. Um, and the typefaces up, up till today is what drives everything that we do. It pays for everything that we do. Oh, wow. I mean, the magazine was always a lost leader in a sense. It <laughs> right. never made any money. Um, you know, it, 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 but it was a perfect promotional tool mm -hmm. to show off the typefaces. And we understood that pretty quickly. And, you know, and, and whereas in the beginning, Susanna was setting type for designers, it, it became, and that had a lot to do with the fact that it, it took a while for graphic designers to actually accept the Macintosh computer. Yeah. I mean, using the machine for, you know, four, five, six, seven years. You know, it wasn't really until the, I think like the, the you know, mid nineties that designers were, and, you know, PostScript had, had been introduced and the, the layout programs like Ready, Set, Go and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And the PageMaker, you know, allowed designers to finally use this machine because in the beginning they thought the Macintosh was a huge step backwards. I mean, right. look at these typefaces, you right. know, it's like from the Flintstone area, they thought. Um, so there was, but, but little by little designers started to see that there was some value there. And, and before we knew it, they were asking not just for us to set type, but they were asking, can we get copies of the typefaces? Mm. And we go like, you know what? Yes, we can make <laughs> copies of them and sell them on disk, you know? And yeah. The, fonts of floppy disks and started selling the fonts that way. And then, you know, we had this digital product that kept selling better and better. And then lo and behold, all of a sudden the internet comes around, right. comes along and, and we're sitting on this digital product that we can now actually sell over the internet, right, you know, right. which we, we didn't see any of that coming. Uh, so I think we were one of the first foundries that sold typefaces online. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit crude, <laughs> it was, you know, uh, but it, it, it and it took a little while for it, for a font to actually be transmitted over over the phone wires. Uh, but you know, it, 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 that that part of our business grew really really fast. Okay, and uh, it it showed us that you know, that, you know, we, I was able to give up my job at the Chronicle. Susanna stopped working for Adobe and stopped working oh, wow. as a freelance designer because very quickly we were able to, to do everything simply, um, by, uh, selling time. And that included, um, publishing the magazine. Yeah. Well, I think that's something that, that, you know, in the, Correct me if, if this is, is wrong, but I think in kind of the, the immigre legend or the way that the story is often told today, it's often forgotten that early issues of the magazine were essentially type specimens and, and kind of were a way to sell your own typefaces. Um, when, when did that... When did you start to kind of bring in writers or include interviews or realize that these don't just have to be uh, showing off the typography, but we could actually add new content to them also? Right. Um, well, you know, 1984, 85, from there on, mm -hmm. there was just graphic design was basically being turned upside down. Yeah. 
for a whole variety of reasons. And it wasn't just the Macintosh, although it played a big role, obviously. But, you know, it was also the, 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 the time when postmodernism started to pop up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with the discussions that designers had. You know, there was a lot of interest in the vernacular. Mm-hmm. But, um, you, you know, uh, uh, schools like, you know, I, I remember I remember vividly the first time I saw Kathy McCoy oh, give yeah. a lecture at CCA in Oakland when they were still based in Oakland. And I was just blown away. <laughs> yeah. They, she was showing, and I, I'm guessing this must have been an 89 or something. Okay. And the work she was showing at that time was just, uh, it was, it's funny because the work that she was showing, there were a lot of the same sort of formal and graphic gestures made that, that, that we were making. Mm-hmm. And there was, there was, a, there was a big moving away from this very staid, uh, formulaic Swiss international modern design. Yeah. And I was, I was really, I was really attracted to that. But I found out that they had arrived at that work by reading Barthes and, and <laughs> Derrida and yeah. all, you know, the French theorists and whatnot. I had arrived at what I thought was a similar solution or alternative from looking at the work of Hart Werken mm, in Holland yeah. and Pete Snyder's uh, and Jan von Thorn, very, very different. Um, but but the way it sort of all expressed itself on the page, on the paper, um, was 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 kind of the same. I mean, I felt a lot of affinity towards that. And I remember the, the you know um, going to um, to Cranbrook for three days to do a workshop and to spend three days with the students there, which eventually ended up as an issue of Emigre number 19. I remember being so nervous going there because I thought, here's all these, all these designers, all these kids, you know, they've like done nothing but study and read. Right. Right. But not, I never read any of that stuff. I, I, I tried actually, I couldn't get into it. Mm. Uh, so I did read, you know, learning from Las Vegas, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook and I, I did like that a lot. So yeah. I yeah, I came there and I was I was just so completely nervous about about talking to them about 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 these issues because I thought, you know, intellectually I, I'm I'm not there at all. Yeah. But you know, that that turned out to be not the case. I don't think that ever came up. You know, we <laughs> I think we really enjoyed just 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 talking about the fact that, you know, there's a lot of other ways to to practice design, you know, there's mm-hmm. uh you know the the, the the easy you know flush left ragged right Helvetica design is one way of designing, but there's there's many other ways to design. And and I was very attracted to you know the whole idea of of, of, of the personal voice of the designer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, allowing that 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 voice of the designer to be in the work, which of course with with most modern design was was, was right. Not really. It was frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I like I liked all of that. I mean, I so I have this theory that I kind of would love to run by you and see what you think. And I think I, I've been thinking. You know, I've I've talked to seventy something people about kind of design criticism or design writing uh, over the last two years, and obviously, immigrate comes up all the time. I've talk to a bunch of the people who have written for you but i and and 
often what it, it comes up in the context of could something like that exist today? Like, like the way that that publication existed was so singular and so of its time that I think Immigrate could not have existed in any other time before in history and I don't think would probably work now. And I think it's because of all those things you're talking about, uh, this kind of rise of postmodernism and interest in critical theory, the introduction of the Macintosh, uh, I think the stuff that was happening at Cranbrook, I think um, just the kind of insularity of graphic design or the smallness of the profession. Were you, so So my first question is, do, do you, you know, thinking back on it, would you kind of agree with that? And then the second part of the question is, were you aware that all of these things were coming together and that you and the work that you and Susanna were doing were kind of right in the middle of all of that? Uh, there's a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, in yeah I'm sorry. I'm uh, sorry. I, <laughs> once I got going, I, I couldn't stop. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, it, it was a very special time, and I think a lot of the, the writing and a lot of the essays and a lot of the navel-gazing, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it all came out of the work. Mm-hmm. The work was right. there first. You know, you right. can't have all this stuff if it wasn't for the work. Uh, there was a lot to talk about, you know, and we were questioning a lot of things, uh, all the younger designers. And then the older designers, and this sounds terribly uh, ageist, but, you know, the established designers, to use a, a better word, right. they started to react to what we were saying. And, and, and the thing is, it all played itself out within a couple of, a couple of uh, uh, magazines, publications. Yeah. You know, it was, it was Print Magazine, mm-hmm. it was I Magazine, and it was perhaps Emigre Magazine. And these, especially print, and, and uh, there were national or international magazines. If you wanted to know what was going on in design, that's where you went. And these magazines all talked to each other. Right. You know, you know, they responded to each other. So everybody sort of knew what the dialogues what the conversations were and what they were about. But again, it, it all started as a reaction to the work that was being produced. So I, I asked myself the same question you just asked. I was like, could that exist now? And, and, and if, it, if it doesn't, wh- why not? And I, I guess the only answer I can come up with is like, well, maybe the work isn't there. Well, yeah. Come out. <laughs> yeah. In a way that, that, that gets everybody red in the face. Because people really got quite upset. And yeah. And got, Really, I remember, you know, the well, you, you probably heard the story, the famous interview that Print Magazine did with Massimo Vignelli and Ed Bengia. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they, the, the, the two gods of design, New York, you know, uh, and they yeah. spent half the interview um, talking about what, a, what they called it. They, they referred to Emigre as a garbage factory, you know. Right, right. Uh, they thought it was all... Awful, awful, awful work is going to be the you know the downfall of design. I mean, and and you know as hurtful as it was at the time, I think back at that and I go like, yeah, but it was so great because these guys, they literally sat down and they talked about this. I mean, you you, can, you get that anymore? I don't know if if that is still taking place where people literally speak their mind about these mm-hmm. issues very honestly. Yeah, and publish that. Uh, yeah, you don't see that anymore, yeah. at least not within design. Yeah. I mean, Stephen Heller writing an article about ugly, you know, ugly, <laughs> they called all that stuff that we were publishing and all the people, you know, Cranbrook and Hart Verken and Cal Arts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was considered to be ugly design. 
and again, you know, you gotta, I, I can only say, Steve, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just amazing that he, that he dared to put his, 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 his mouth where his thoughts were. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. That he was willing to go out on a limb and say that. And, you know, there was a huge backlash that lasted for years. Yeah. People are still talking about it. Yeah. Still talking about it. I mean, but, but did that, did that embolden you at all of, you know, wanting to push it further or wanting to, you know, kind of find where those edges were seeing, you know, the, these people who are at the top of the field kind of questioning what you were doing? Well, well at first, of course, the, when I first read that interview with Massimo Vignelli, yeah. talk, you know, calling us a garbage factory, I mean, I, I was devastated. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah of course. Her, her, you know, he was, I, I actually, I really like Vignelli's. In Yelly's work, but but I also quickly realized that uh, well, up to that point, not too many people knew what Emmy Gray was about or what Emmy Gray was. Yeah, but yeah, you, know, you get that published in print magazine, which had a huge um, uh, circulation. Um, all of a sudden, a lot of people thought, "Who are you know? Yeah, who are these people? Emmy Gray?" They yeah. started paying attention to us, um, and it also, I think, I think at that point, that really. Um, helped me started writing about my own work. Mm. I mean, the, the, the sort of attacks or the, the, the criticism that yeah. came from, you know, the establishment helped me sort of really think deeply about what I was doing. Right. And that's when I sort of started to little by little get my feet wet, you know, and trying to write about design. I mean, I, up until that point, I had mostly done interviews, right. you know, which, which all came from, you know, just ask the question, why? It's like, why? Why? You know, I yeah. saw that work at Cranbrook. It looked a little bit like what we were doing, but I wanted to know how they arrived at it. And so I just kept asking the question, why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Right. It's like, right. you can fill interviews. You can do interviews like that. And, yeah. And, and, and fill many pages of emigre, which is what I did. <laughs> but then later I started to think, well, maybe I should answer some of these questions myself. And I started to, 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 to think about design and why I design in a certain way and why I do, do things in a certain way. And I little by little started to, to, to write, but you know, I am, I am not, you know, I don't yeah. have any the impression that I'm a theorist. I, I am absolutely not, you know, the, the real writers in emigre were, were, you know, the people, you know, and you've interviewed them all on your, on your program, you know, yeah. Kenneth Fitzgerald and, and Jeffrey Keady and, and Lorraine Wilde and Andrew Blaufeld and Anne Burdick and Diane Gromal. I mean, yeah. You know, and and I did not. I usually I did not initiate those writings. You know, those writings were around. They either like Lorraine's writings were. I think they existed as lectures, mm -hmm. and I just happened to, you know, uh, hear the lecture, and I would ask her, you know, can be published as an emigrant because what you're just saying blows my mind. You know, yeah. And she goes. Sure, you know, and 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 this I think Anne Burdick's first piece that we published I think was her thesis project, yeah. you know, and I thought, geez, it's such amazing pieces of writing about design, you know, that's such, you know, it, it sort of opened up. I mean, I got my my graduate design education theory, design theory from these people, from right. from publishing their articles, right, uh, reading their articles, trying to understand them. And, uh, and and help them uh, publish them. And I think my strength and my talent, if you want to call it that, 
was 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 publishing the articles and trying to find an audience for it. I mean, that's that's I think where my strengths were. Well, and that was I'm. I'm glad that you said that because that was a question that I ha that I wanted to ask you about it was both kind of how how you found these people or or you know were you kind of commissioning pieces or or were people submitting to you or how that that kind of process of how these essays made it into the magazine but then also if you had some sort of I don't know some sort of editorial strategy or or how did you know that a piece was an immigre piece or would fit in in your vision for immigre, if you even had a, a vision for immigre. Yeah. Um, well, as we were getting, uh, you know, as we were getting known within the world of design, we started getting a lot of invitations for lectures and whatnot and right. for doing workshops. So in the nineties, I did a lot of traveling. I went to a lot of schools and did, did lectures and, did, you know, all the AIGA chapters and whatnot. And so I, I mean, I got, whereas, whereas at one point I'd gotten sort of disillusioned with design and couldn't care less about it anymore. At that time, when I got back into it and when we got really into it with, with Emmy Gray and with the typefaces, mm -hmm. I was just eating, sleeping and dreaming graphic design. I, I, <laughs> everything that was going on and everything that was being said. I read, I read all the magazines and so, and I, you know, I went out and, 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 you know, granted, there weren't that many people actually writing about mm -hmm. design. It's not like I could go out and pick and choose, you know, right. if there was, if, you know, there were, there were just a handful of people writing. And if they did write something, and if I did come across something that I thought, this is really something that's worthwhile to share with a larger audience, you know, I would beg people, can I, can I publish it? And they said, sure, we're not doing anything else with it. <laughs> Nobody else is yeah. publishing 20 or 30,000 word essays. If you <laughs> Please go ahead. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had some very big pages to fill, so I was always happy to do that. But, uh, yeah, how do I, how did I find all these, I know, going out, you know, going out to people, yeah. go, going to the schools and and just, and, they, and they'll find out about you. I mean, people mm -hmm. did submit from time to time essays, um, but there wasn't that much. It was slim pickings, you know. Yeah. There weren't that many people writing. I mean, it's, and, and understandably, I mean, because it's not anything that you can base a career on. I mean, it's, you know, the, most of the essays that we published, you know, we would pay Jeffrey, uh, you know, or, or Lorraine 500 bucks or $750, oh, wow. you know, or we trade for typefaces. And oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's what we could sort of afford. And you can't make a career out of that. Right. Um, right. Did I mention Andrew Blaufeld? I have to yeah. mention Yeah. Because I mean, he was—he was one of the great, great writers that I was so happy to, to have, um, proud to publish his his work too. Um, but but you know, so the slim pickings in 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 the uh, in the area of of writers, and and this is one of the big problems, and that's I this is other reason perhaps why it never took off, yeah, and why it never became anything bigger than what it was, because nobody is kind of going to commit. To become a full-time design critic, graphic right. design critic. I mean, right. there's, a, you know, there's Rick Pointer and there's Steve Heller. <laughs> you know, and 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 both of these guys have to do other stuff still right. to make a living off of it. So what you're getting is people who are writing um, on the side. You know, it's it's not their main thing, um, which is really what you need if you want to develop 
people who are really, really good at this and maybe develop a personal voice also with their writing. Right. Uh, but there is just no outlet for it now. There wasn't then, except for Emmy Gray, but you know that didn't make him any money, and right. there definitely isn't now. Yeah, did I? I, I want to go back to something that you said earlier about you know when you were disillusioned with graphic design and didn't want any part of it, and then as you were working on the magazine, you were kind of obsessed with it and you know kind of reading everything, and it's kind of. I, I see a lot of parallels to that, to my own career and my own relationship to graphic design. And one of the reasons why I went back to, to grad school is because I was kind of feeling disillusioned with it and not sure it was the thing that I wanted to do anymore. And that then birthed this podcast in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm kind of back into it uh, uh, in a lot of ways. And, and I'm, I'm curious if, if it was kind of working on the magazine that kind of brought that back to you or, or, or even if you think that that disillusionment helped the magazine a little bit, you know, having to kind of wrestle with whether or not this field was even interesting to you is what made the content and, and kind of editorial decisions so interesting. Hmm, yeah. Um, I think, I, I think what the, the big break for me came, I got disillusioned with graphic design, as I said earlier, because I I, I couldn't find the affinity for all these clients, <laughs> you know, the corporation. Yeah. It's like, why would I want to work for these? I, I, you know, it's like, I don't even like what these corporations are selling. Why, why would I want to be involved in that? Yeah. And then getting back into design was um, when I was making my own products. Mm -hmm. Our own magazine, our own typefaces. Right. Uh, right. You know, we got into when we got very ambitious. You know, we had a small, we had a small record label. Right. Yeah. We, we published our own books. At one point, we were, we were, we were literally making pajamas. You know. <laughs> right. Uh, That's right. It, it was like, it was making our own products and, and being our own client. You know. Yeah. Doing specula speculative work. You know that. That all of then all of a sudden I realized graphic design is a very very valuable tool, a very mm -hmm. valuable trade to know and to master because in all of these things you know as we're putting out records and books, graphic design plays a very very big role. Yeah. But to me, it was much more fun to do it for myself, <laughs> right? Than to the guy you know who sort of comes in to put on the shine. Yeah. Um, so that's how I got back into graphic design. It turns out that, you know, I really like it as yeah. long as I do my own stuff. <laughs> right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. Did, do you think working on the magazine and, and all of these kind of other projects, did it change how you thought about design or, or kind of what you thought design could do or what design could be? Hmm. Well... For myself, personally, um, I'm not sure how. That's a very good question. I have to, <laughs> I have to think about that. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a big question. I, I don't have a, I don't have a quick answer for that. Well, I mean, design. Yeah, you know, design can be anything. It, you know, it's, it's like this is the thing. I sometimes I, I, I sit, yeah, you know, sit around the dinner table with friends and they're, they're graphic designers, they say, and they talk about design and I have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. And so, like, so they're finding a way to use graphic design in ways that, that 
totally alien to me. And I'm using graphic design and graphic designs, graphic design in ways that is maybe alien to them. I mean, it it can be anything you want it to be. I mean, there's no restrictions. On it. Yeah, I don't probably doesn't answer your question. Uh, no. I have to think. I mean, no, actually, I mean, honestly, I think that was actually a really good answer because that's kind of what I was thinking about when I asked it is, and, and again, I was thinking about my own career and this podcast and kind of realizing that the more I'm in it and the more I'm doing these things that graphic design is a lot bigger than I thought it was and where I thought the borders were for that are not necessarily where they are and that those are a lot blurrier uh, and there's a lot more movement there, um, right. which is kind of what you were you were just saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and it's funny because um, right now I'm I'm a little bit back to where I was in the early '80s when I'd given up on design because I'm I'm no longer really very active uh, as as a graphic designer. I mean, I'm back to photography. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, after you know, the, since we don't do the magazine anymore, we stopped that after you know twenty years and sixty nine issues. We yeah. gave that up in two thousand five, and then you know I, I, I did I did work on the big emigre book number seventy, which is basically a reprint of, of the of the of the issues of emigre, and then I I worked on the re, reprint book of all our type specimens, you know, and right. doing all that graphic design related, you know, a lot of production work and whatnot, and you know. But now I'm I'm trying slowly to go to come back to to, to photography and, and do that and I'm I'm finding that I'm actually a graphic designer who's doing photography. I, I can't I can't get it out of my head. You know, it's like I think I think when I look through my viewfinder, I'm just handling whatever I see through there as if I'm a graphic design. I'm making layouts, you know, in my yeah. viewfinder. Yeah. Can't step away. It's 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 you know, and then of course, it also resulted in the fact that I don't see myself as a photographer who makes, you know, additional gallery prints. I'm much more attracted to using photography in books. Yeah, I, you know, in print because that combination, you know, photography and books, that's just they're just made for each other. Yeah. So then, you know, I. Uh, I feel like again, like a fish in water. I, I can design books. I love that, and I like to be a photographer. I like to make photographs and to marry these two. So I keep I keep using graphic design as a way to do whatever I really want to do. You know, whether yeah. it's publishing a magazine or or putting out you know music CDs or or doing photography. It's all going through the funnel of graphic design, sort of. Yeah, I, that's really interesting. I tend to do it do it or not yeah i mean it's interesting though because i i remember a couple years it was maybe a year or two ago i had seen i was in a bookstore and i saw your book i think it's called still lives usa yeah right um and i didn't know that you were doing photography and i didn't know that you had a photography background and i picked it up and looked through it and was like oh i didn't this is this is interesting i didn't know he uh he was doing this now but it, it, I know exactly what you mean when you talk about it being still very much a kind of graphic design project. Everything, not just from the composition of the photos, but I think the kind of editing um, and ordering of the photos in those books are very much a design process. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, so um, the only trick is can you uh, 
establish yourself as a photographer when you don't make gallery prints? Can you can you become a photographer if that's important? Maybe right, it's not important. Right, but right. can you call yourself a photographer when you're when you when you never actually make prints and when you're when when the manifestation of your photographs are books and not prints yeah, and yeah. and that's sort of where I'm at right now and and what I'm finding out it's it's kind of interesting uh, because if you know the the fact that I've had some success in graphic design uh, to the world of photography means absolutely nothing right you know, they don't care at all right. they don't care have the you know the, the AIJ gold medal that means nothing to them yeah uh, in that respect you know the, you know the so so and, and I'm trying to establish myself or I'm you know I'm, I'm sort of getting my feet wet and see see how how, how that would go how, how do you become a a, a a photographer you know when can you call yourself a photographer and right. it turns out that's really really hard right. and it's probably going to take another I, I remember very well talking to April Griman once who said yeah. that there's nothing you know every, there's nothing that you can call your, your your own until you've worked at it for at least ten years. Oh right, yeah. And you know, for no matter what you do, if you want to become a great graphic designer, you know, right out of school, forget it. You, you're not gonna, you know, you're gonna have to work at it, you know, to call what you what you do your own. And it's the same with photography. And I think that's where I'm right now with my photography. I'm at the very very beginning. So yeah. I'm I'm only I'm starting to catch up with the history of photography. You know, I'm starting to read all these books. Mm. You know, I, I was I was just in. Uh, in Tokyo, and I'm finding out this incredible world of uh, of photo books, which is a huge tradition in, in Japan. Yeah, you know, photo book there is is a, is a well established art form, but I'm only now catching up on all of that and see what's what you know what what the history of that is, and uh, how I can perhaps learn from that and how I fit into that. But you know, it's it's something that I'm going to work on, and have to work on very very hard before. I can expect anybody, to, you know, right. consider what I do to be, you know, photography or, or of any value. I, I want to ask you something about that, and it's something that you actually said to me in an email when we were scheduling this uh, that struck me and and I found interesting because I, it was something that I hadn't realized about myself, uh, where you said that in your photography work you're kind of consciously not thinking about theory or not trying to bring theory into that into that work. And the reason I found that interesting is, is I, I've been interested in photography for as long as design. I always have one or two cameras with me. I, you know, I'm, I've put together some, some photo books for myself and I realized that it's the same way for me. I've never kind of thought about photo theory in the way that I think about design theory which is so central to, to the way I think about my work. Is there a reason um, or, or um, could you kind of talk about that a little bit more about kind of your relationship to theory and photography? Yeah, I, I already broke that promise. That okay. I, I for promise what I said okay. to you. I was trying to stay away from theory. All right, never mind then. <laughs> no, no, okay, I can, I can explain. I mean, I've... I've I've actually started this a small magazine again. It's oh. called Archive. It's called Archive, um, and uh, it's just my photography. It's it's really a catalog, and I've put out six issues, and it, all it has is captions. There's mm. no writing of any kind, mm -hmm. and that sort of goes along with the idea. I just want to, I just want to make photographs. I just want to 
you know, I just want to make pictures and images and, and yeah. not get my head full of all kinds of complicated ideas. Yep. Uh, but somehow or another, just just now, just the last couple of days, um, I, I feel like I, I need a little introduction to oh, explain what it is, what I'm doing, and and that's just yeah, I just, that's just for myself. I just want to help myself. I want to sort of find out what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. So I start writing. I started writing, you know, I, was, I started asking these questions to myself, like, you know, what's going on here? And I tried to write something sensible. And I, I again, I, it reminds me of when I tried to write for Emigre, you know, the, my introductions in Emigre. Yeah. And such a, I struggle with it so tremendously. And I'm sure all writers do it. There's nothing easy about writing. But, I, you know, it doesn't come natural to me. And I just spent, I just spent days and weeks, like one paragraph. Yeah. Show it to Susanna. She laughs at it. And she goes like, what? And, <laughs> and she has corrections. So she says, yeah, this is pretty cool. And then I rewrite the whole thing again. I have such, such a hard time with it. But I keep trying it because I want to figure out for myself, what exactly am I trying to say with these photographs? What am I doing? This also reminds me, of, just to sort of go off on a tangent. Yeah, go for it. When, when, when we sort of came to the end of Emmy Gray, and and the whole idea of blogs. Yeah. Well, I was so ill suited for blogs because mm. you know, people were asking why why didn't Emmy Gray do a blog? And I go, I can't do it. I you know, I can't think on my feet really well. Oh yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not a quick thinker. I need a lot of time to to flesh out these ideas. And I remember uh, remember Armin Witt when he yeah. still had Speak Up. Yeah. Um, that was kind of an interesting blog, and at that time, the very beginning, people were still writing fairly lengthy replies. Yep. You know, it wasn't 140 characters. You know, yeah. people were doing it, and I remember posting a few replies, sort of trying to get into it. And I remember writing writing these two or three paragraph replies, and it would take me like three or four days to write. Yeah, and then I would sit another day. I would sit with my finger hovering over the mouse, <laughs> like, shall I send it or not? You yeah. know, it's like, yeah. like. This is not for me. And that's why Emmy Gray never did got involved in blogs and and this sort of drive by criticism, you know, that that you can see under consideration, you know, where people talk about um, branding and logos. I mean, it's it's great that it exists, I'm I'm sure. Uh, Obviously, it's really popular, but I I can't get it. That's just not for me. because writing is really difficult. It's, yeah. It really is. And I also think it's, you know, it's when you write something, I, I think it's really, uh, I always think it's going to last. Right, right. I want it to be halfway decent. <laughs> yeah. So it's my old-fashioned idea. Uh, that's right. I'm, I'm very fearful of these interviews. This is like everything I've said now. You know, <laughs> that's it. You're not going to edit it. That's right. it. Uh, and I, I, you know, it was really actually daunting for me to do this interview also or mostly maybe because I had listened to um, Elliot Earls. Oh, interview, yeah. Yeah. Which I think was one of the most brilliant interviews. Oh, good. On both sides. Yeah. You and him that I've ever heard done with a graphic designer. It oh. was so inspirational. I thought, you know, I listened to it. I was like, Jesus, I want to go back to school and study with study with Elliot. I like yeah. pull that fella, you know, go back at a yeah, right. age of 62. Uh, I thought that was an amazing, amazing interview. I, I mean, the denseness of what 
Elliot was saying and the ideas that he, off the top yeah. of his head, was able to sort of communicate. I can do it. As is, you know, this is very uh, obvious right now. Um, so, so anyway, so go back to what we're talking about. Yeah, the writing, I'm, I'm trying it again, but it's difficult. Um, but I, it does help me because it does feed back into what I'm doing. Yeah. A little bit. You know, I have to focus my, myself from time to time and writing helps me focus. Yeah. Well, so first of all, thank you so much for the, the compliment on Elliot's uh, that it, it really means a lot. And, and I'm glad that, that, you know, you thought it was interesting because I felt, I felt like I was the same way and I was a part of it where, where he was just going. So I, I felt like I was just trying to catch up to make sure that I could, you know, follow up with his questions because I felt like I wasn't thinking fast enough. So I'm glad that that didn't. didn't no, you're doing through. very well. <laughs> um, you're doing very well now too. And by the way, no disrespect to all the other people that you interviewed. I think, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying listening to all of them. It's, it's really interesting how people's, this is the great thing about these interviews. It's like, you know, people's personalities come right, through, right. So, which, which, you, which you don't see in the writing because the writing can be very different from how people speak, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, but that that actually kind of leads into to, uh, the next couple of questions I had, which start to kind of wrap this up a little bit. Um, There's <laughs> I have a couple more, a couple more quick questions. Um, but because I thought it was interesting, I wanted to ask you about ending the magazine and, and blogging. And I know you've, you've talked about that. We've talked about it already. And I know you've talked about that in other, other interviews that you've done. But I'm, I'm kind of curious about when, when you knew that the magazine was done. Um, and and did that was that kind of related to to your own relationship to graphic design, or was it kind of related to blogs and just the changing way that people were talking? I think it was all of those things together. Okay. Probably, mm -hmm. you know, nothing lasts forever. <laughs> yeah. And you know, some people may say I may even agree that we may have even done it a little too long. Mm. Um, although, you know, there was a little glimpse there right towards the end when we were almost a, completely a, a theory, a design theory yeah. magazine. I was sort of, you know, there, there was some very interesting new voices coming forward. You know, there was Rob Gianpietro yeah. and Dimitri Siegel and David Kamianka and, and Randy Nakamura. Yeah. They had just all started to write. And I thought, oh, my God, this is Maybe there's there's hope here. That, you know, these guys were, were writing really interesting stuff, and then, but you know, the thing is, the audience for it didn't grow, and right. this was always, this was always the problem with with with, with design writing. There, there there was really no audience for it. I mean, emigrate with emigrate, we we've gone. You know, we've we've sold subscriptions. We could never sell more than about. 2,000 to 2,500 subscriptions, oh, and they may distribute, you know, two or 3,000 copies to stores. Mm -hmm. uh, at one point, we decided to make the magazine free because we decided we, we figured that uh, the magazine is a great promotional tool for the for the uh, for the typefaces, and we're sort of limiting ourselves by selling subscriptions. Maybe we should just make the magazine for free. Oh, interesting. Get much larger, larger circulation, which we did, and we said, you know. We, we basically send out, we got about to about 40 to 50,000 copies for each issue, which we send out for free to our mailing list. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody loved it. Then 
we decided it got to be very expensive to do this yeah. for a long time, but it was it cost a fortune to do it. I bet. Um, and it was all sustained by the sales of the typefaces. So then when we switched it back, after having a circulation mm. of about thousand copies, we switched it back to subscriptions. And again, we could not sell more than two 2,000 or 2,500 copies. And these were the people that were really dedicated mm-hmm. to the magazine and who were probably interested in reading you know, all the design theory that we were publishing. So there was never really a room to grow. And even those last six issues, which were co-published with uh, Princeton Architectural, right. where we thought, you know, maybe they have an inlet uh, to a uh, to a larger audience that is into it. It did not. If anything, <laughs> it shrank. Even it got to be smaller. Oh, so wow. in the end, you go like, you know, who are, we, we were basically talking to the same small group of people yeah. all the time. It, it did not. It did not grow. So that didn't help. Right. You know. Right. Uh, continuing that was one of the reasons also where we thought well maybe this is the end of it it was a lot of work to do it it was an enormous amount of work it costs a lot of money and you know as the as our audience who are really into reading design theory didn't grow and at the same time when the when the blogs came out and the, the internet and all this kind of stuff that really exploded yeah people seemed to love that we thought okay you know Maybe that's what people want. Yeah. And, and I kind of, you know, I, I didn't feel the same excitement anymore for graphic design. It's right. like, you know, the, the, the stuff that people were really getting excited about, you know, um, for instance, Under Consideration, mm-hmm. a very popular blog, you know, um, logos and branding, mm-hmm. I do, does not interest me at all. But that seemed to interest a lot of graphic designers. And, and obviously, that's their bread and butter. Yeah. I can totally see that. But it didn't interest me. I didn't see any kind of a, an inlet for that to, 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 to talk about with any kind of you know, passion to it. Yeah. So all these things combined, uh, we thought, you know, and again, nothing lasts forever. We thought, let's just, let's just, let's just kill it. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you think, I'm, I'm, I'm curious kind of, do you have what's your relationship to it now? Is it do you think you would you would ever come back to 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 graphic design or, or to design criticism if if we want to call it that or design writing? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I've never made many many plans. People always ask us, you know, yeah. all the way through our careers with emigrants, like, what is your five year plan? It's mm-hmm. like five year plan. Yeah. We're happy to get the next through the next you know five days. Yeah. Uh, and for this too, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe. I don't know. I, I mean, right now my head is full of photography and, and, I, and, and, you know, I should say that, uh, I don't want to shortchange my, my company. I mean, you know, our, our paychecks uh, still come from Emigre and we spend, right. you know, Susanna too, we spent a, a great deal of our time still uh, selling typefaces. I mean, that, that, that hasn't really gone away. Right. And that, that keeps us really, really busy. I mean, Susanna has been very hard at work, um, uh, doing, uh, you know, sort of retooling a lot of our very old typefaces, sort of bring them into the 21st century with, you know, expanded character sets and whatnot. So that that continues. Another thing that I've been very busy with the last year is, uh, if, if there's still time to talk about all this, yeah. uh, is that, you know, Emigrate donated its entire archive to the Letterform Archive oh, right. in San Francisco. I don't know if you're familiar with the letter form archive, but it's yeah. it's 
it's it's it's it's a nonprofit. It's 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 a brand new archive that specializes in graphic design and type design, and it started was started by Rob Saunders in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. It started with his personal collection of graphic design and type design related uh, publishings, and it's it's now probably one of the largest archives of design and type design in the world. It is an amazing thing, and we decided to archive everything. Everything we've ever produced, all our correspondence that existed from the magazine and the correspondence with the type designers, uh, all the preparatory sketches of Susanna's typefaces, oh, wow. all the old paste-up boards. We found these old paste-up boards of emigre number one, which I oh, had wow. saved. <laughs> uh, wow. That's all at the Letterform Archive, and it's, it's a great, great place to go. You cannot imagine what they have there. I mean, you can't think of anything. Yeah, the most obscure little oh, you know type specimens that were published in the twenties. They'll have copies of it, and you can go there and you can actually look at it and you know yeah. browse through it and whatnot. It's a wonderful, wonderful place, and I've I've been very involved in, in sort of okay. housing our archive there, and yeah. I'm so busy with all of these graphic design related uh, uh, things still. Yeah, yeah. well, the, I mean, the reason I ask is because. As, as, I, as I had mentioned to you, I kind of discovered graphic design in the early 2000s as a, as a teenager. And this was right at the end of Immigrate. I kind of, I remember that, the, the end of the magazine, I should say. Um, and I remember reading the older issues and feeling like I had just missed like the best moment in graphic design history, just with the, the Macintosh and with postmodernism and all of these people talking about theory and criticism and immigrate. And I thought I had, I had kind of missed it all. Um, and, and in a way, I think that there was something really special about that time that I probably did miss. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious if you think kind of from your point of view, are there other big changes in the profession that could allow for that type of thing again where everyone's talking about the same thing there is work that's uh kind of agitates people a little bit like we talked about earlier it's all kind of there aren't these types of debates anymore do you see anything like that coming again or, or is there a certain stasis now i don't you know it's it's the it's a question i I talk about this with you know all my all my good old buddies from the old days. Yeah. We go we go over this again and again, and we we ask we all ask that question, you know. <laughs> and I don't know the answer, and I always say it's like I don't know. There may be some kids somewhere in a garage doing some amazing stuff. We don't know about it, and perhaps by the time they come up with something, uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dump on them, you know. We're gonna right. play the old grumpy guys. <laughs> right. We're gonna be the Massimo Vignelli's, you know. <laughs> Uh, but it hasn't happened yet. I, I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And again, it was a very, uh, you know, it was a very special time in a way. I mean, the the, the Macintosh did have a lot to do with it. it, it you know, and and the, the the really the exciting times if you look back in time, the history of graphic design when when things really changed was when technologies changed. Yep. You know, yep. so we were right in the middle of one of those. So yep. we were just. You know, we were super lucky. We we really realized that, um, and there there was there was just a confluence of very interesting things all coming together like a big bang, sort of. Yeah. 
I'm sure it can happen again. Yeah. And you know, and you're going to be ready for it. You're set up very nicely. I mean, uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what we, you know, we realized when we were doing it. We weren't so aware of it at the time. I mean, you know, it's like, but we we figured it out, and and we realized. Uh, the least we can do is is because it was being ignored for you know the the the, the Macintosh was ignored for a long time. Designers thought it was a step back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I yeah. read print magazine in 1987, and there was nothing in there about. And it was that, how come how come they're not talking about this? Right. You know, it's like me and my friends we were talking about this stuff, and we were going like, "This is like amazing what's happening." Yeah. Nobody else was talking, so we thought, "Well, why don't we talk about it?" And we decided, and you know, on hindsight, we were literally writing our own history. We were sort of, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk, and we were going to make sure that we were going to record it. What was going? Yeah, on. yeah. Uh, you know, we were ready for it, uh, and uh, and it, it turned out that. Um, we were there at, at, at a very, very special time. Yeah, yeah. But sure, it can happen again. You know, it, it happens all the time. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, oh, I mean, and I, I just, you know, I love that that was kind of your approach and that you did record all of that and you did talk about those things. And I feel like so much of, so much of my interest in design, so much of how I think about design, so much of this podcast and this project ha- has origins to what, you were publishing an immigrant and I've, you know, I've talked to Katie and Rob Jean Petro and Dimitri Siegel and, um, and Burdick. And, um, so I'm just like, I feel like the, what, even though what you were writing and publishing at the time was so specific for that time, it's like you said, there's a certain timelessness to it where that is still having an effect on designers working today. Uh, and so that's why I'm so glad that, that, we got to have this conversation and just, you know, thank you for the work that you've done and for this, for, for taking the time to talk because, um, so much of this podcast is about me missing immigrant in a lot of ways. So, so thank you so much. You're very kind. You're making me feel very old, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I, I, you know, I, I really admire what you're doing. Like I said, uh, I think I, you know the, the the fact that you that you get to talk to all these people. I think yeah. it's not easy to do that. You have to cajole some people, probably. Yeah. Um, you have to be very organized. You're obviously extremely well prepared. You really you really research the stuff. I think that's that's super valuable. You're you're doing an amazing job. You're very easy to talk to. I was scared to be on this interview. You made it. You made it. You made it very easy. I think you have a you have a real talent for this, and I'm I'm just super honored to to be on your program. Oh. I hope it's going to run for a long, long time, and I hope it's going to be part of uh, and it's going to cover all kinds of huge, big bangs in the world of design that uh, who knows might happen uh, very soon. Things will get very uh, excited again, and and uh, you'll be there to record. Well, thank you so much. That means that really means so much, much coming from you. And if it makes you feel any better, both of us were scared uh, and nervous for this one. For this one, but I thought it, I thought it was great. So thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Jared. This episode was recorded on March seventh, two thousand eighteen. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud, and at ScratchingTheSurface.fm. Thanks for listening.